1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fisgetti. Thank you for joining us on our first episode of 2021. On today's episode, we'll start with the latest news around Napoli and Serie A. And I'll close with a mini-feature on the growth decree. In part 2, I'll provide an update on the transfer rumor mill with the January transfer market set to open this week. And in part 3, we'll preview our match on Sunday against Kalyadi. So let's get right into it. I want to start with an injury update, and we have to start with the big announcement on Friday. If you haven't been connected, Napoli announced that Victor Osman has tested positive for covid Earlier in the week, we had learned that Osman had completed his physiotherapy in Belgium and would be back in Napoli to take further tests. At the time, there was a lot of rumors flying around that Osman had to return to Belgium for further treatment. There was a lot of false reporting going on. The head of our medical department, Raffaele Kanoniko, said that Oseman would undergo further tests to determine if his shoulder had healed properly, and only if the results were poor would we see Osman go back to Belgium. Fortunately, the test results were fine. Oma Akatuba, who was the most reliable source during the summer transfer window, confirmed that Osman was doing well and that he may even be ready to play Cagliari on Sunday. Then on Friday, the club announced that Victor tested positive. Initially, the thinking was that he caught the virus while doing physio in Belgium, Shortly after the announcement, the Cold Black Arrow Twitter account published videos of Osman celebrating his birthday party in Nigeria, not wearing a mask, and not social distancing. A lot of people were suggesting that perhaps the video was taken a while back. That's possible, but you can clearly see someone wearing one of our new shirts in one of those videos so the videos could not have been taken prior to october it's possible they were taken during the african cup of nations but osman and his camp have been completely silent so i'm inclined to believe that these videos were in fact taken recently we saw how quickly osman responded when rumors were going around that the doctors in nigeria did not pop his shoulder back in properly the curious thing is victor supposedly tested negative on the 30th but it's possible he got the virus shortly after that, or that the test on the 30th was a false negative. We'll find out soon enough. If these videos are legitimate, you can be sure that Osman will be fined by the club for violating COVID protocols, and the rumor going around is that De Laurentiis is going to fine him 250,000 euros. Osman is asymptomatic, but will miss at least 10 days. Then he will need some time to return to match fitness. So in my mind, I think he's already doubtful for the Supercopa Final on the 20th. At most, he may be available on the bench. So that's the situation with Oseman. We have a number of other players we're hoping to get back soon. Dries Mertens is still a couple of weeks away from full recovery. His mental coach, Michel Bruynik, spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss on the 28th. There, he said that the ankle injury is not a big problem, nothing is broken, and Mertens should be able to return safely in the next few weeks. As of the date of that interview, Mertens was still in Belgium. Kalidou Koulibaly likely needs a week or two as well. For the last three training sessions of the 2020 calendar year, and the first in 2021, he did physiotherapy, followed by personalized training in the gym. Diego Demis seems closer to a return. For the last four sessions, he did fitness training with his teammates for the first half before heading into the gym for individual sessions for the second half. And Chuki Lozano appears to have been a full participant in training, so I assume that means he's recovered from his injury. In other news, we still don't have a date for the makeup match between Juventus and Napoli. There have been a few different proposals. One was to play the game on January 13th, but both of these clubs play in the Coppa Italia on the 13th. My recommendation was to postpone the Supercopa, but that does not appear to be an option either. The latest is that the makeup game will be played on the date of the return fixture, which is on February 13th. Obviously you then need to reschedule the return fixture. It seems like yeah, wants to wait and see what happens to these two clubs in their respective European competitions because if they both get eliminated then more dates become available. So the short of it is we still don't know, but there's been no shortage of drama. Andrea Pirlo made some interesting comments after Juventus' loss to Fiorentina. That was the same day that Napoli won their appeal at Kony. That story broke just before the Juve game, so I doubt Pirlo had much time to think about it. He may not have even known until after the game. And then his club lost, so I'm sure he wasn't too happy giving that interview. This is what he had to say about that decision. He said... It's not a problem to play the game. I'm sorry for those teams who had four to five cases of COVID and had to play the game anyway. I can't tell you how frustrating it was to see comments like this from a lot of reputable people on the day of that decision. The whole case was about whether Napoli were permitted to travel or not, and everyone seemed to be conveniently ignoring that point. As you might have expected, our fearless president responded to Pirlo's comments, speaking to Radio Capital. He said, Pirlo should just be a coach and leave the company representatives with the answer regarding the sentence, which is a state law. Pirlo is not a lawyer by trade, he doesn't know how certain procedures work, and he doesn't know what happened with the protocols. I don't blame Pirlo by calling him an idiot. He said what any coach would have said in a situation like this. De added that there were no unusual phone calls, only solidarity. In Italy, when you win, you cling to the winner's wagon. Here, it was not a question of winning, but of overturning a decision taken wrongly by the Football Association. Then, it is clear that we have made many adhesions. Moving on, on Christmas Eve, the Guardian published its annual list of the 100 best footballers in the world. Kaladu Koulibaly ranked 62nd on the list, which is remarkable considering that in 2020, he had one of his worst seasons, and that was half of 2020. The other player was Dries Mertens, who ranked 84th. I think he probably made the list because in 2020, he broke the club record for most goals scored. The highest-ranking Serie A player was Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, at third overall, behind only Robert Lewandowski and Lionel Messi. Romelu Lukaku was the next-highest Serie A player at 19th place. Napoli's own Chiro Immobile finished at 24th spot, and I'll quickly run through the other Serie A players that made it on the list. Zlatan was at 25th, Papu Gomez in 32nd, Paolo Dybala at 39th, Lautaro Martinez at 44th. Duvan Zapata at 57th, Josip Ilicic at 61st, Matias Delict at 69th, Ashraf Hakimi at 76th, Robin Gosens at 91st, Nicolo Barella at 92nd, Alvaro Morata at 95th, and Luis Alberto at 98th. The last thing I want to talk about in the Napoli news segment is how our cup competitors have been doing lately. We play Empoli in the Coppa Italia on January 13th, and we play Granada in the Europa League on February 18th. Starting with Empoli, they are currently top of the Serie B table, tied with Salernitana on 31 points. They've lost only 1 match out of 20 in all competitions, and that was a 2-0 loss to Venezia in the 6th round of Serie B. They're unbeaten in their last 10 Serie B matches, but only won 4 of them, drawing the other 6. And on the road to the round of 16, they beat Serie C Group A Club Renate to one Then they beat Benevento 4-2, and in the fourth round, they beat Brescia 3-0. We should definitely still win this match, but I do not think it will be a walk in the park. Our Europa League opponent, Granada, have had an up-and-down season. They started La Liga with only one loss in their first seven matches. The final of those seven was a draw to Levante, which started a stretch of five matches without a win, including three losses. The final of that stretch was a draw to Huesca, which started another run, where they only lost one match in their last five, and three of those matches have been wins. In the Europa League, Granada finished second in Group E behind PSV with a record of three wins, two draws, and one loss. Moving on to Serie A, on Tuesday, Italian Minister of Sport Vincenzo Spadafora said that he does not think we'll see fans in stadiums in January. I think that pretty much goes without saying. He also indicated that he expects all sporting activity to resume by the end of January, subject to the necessary health measures. The following day, the new schedule for the Primavera Uno was released. It will resume on January 23rd, continue until June 23rd, and then conclude with a playoff and a playout. The Primavera Due, which is where Napoli are, will resume on January 16th and end on May 15th. Primavera Dua has two groups, and the winner of each group is promoted. The third promotion team is determined by a playoff, which will consist of two semifinal matches and a final. Each match will be a single elimination match, and these games will be played between May 22nd and May 28th. I'll close part one with a mini-feature on the Decreto Crescita, you may have heard about some changes to tax law in Italy recently that could seriously impact Serie I had to go back and look up the law, and whenever I have to do research on something, I assume that others are probably in the same boat, so hopefully I can save you some time with this feature. It actually didn't take too much time to find. Tifo Football has an excellent video on YouTube. It's only about 5 minutes long and is a nice simple explanation. I'm relying on that video here, which I'll post a link to after this episode is published. So what is the Decreto Crescita? The English translation is the Growth Decree, which was a piece of legislation that was passed through Italy's Senate on June 27th, 2019. The purpose of the legislation was to boost a stuttering Italian economy, But it also had the potential to have a major impact on football and the ability of Serie A clubs to attract the world's best players and coaches, like Cristiano Ronaldo for example, because of a new tax break. The legislation has been compared to the Beckham Law, which was legislation introduced in Spain in 2005, to provide tax breaks to rich foreign workers such as footballers. Article 5 of the Decreto Crescita is called "Rientro de Cervelli, or the Return of the Brain. The idea is to bring skilled workers back to Italy. A five-year tax discount was offered to anyone who lived outside of Italy for the previous two years and who moves to Italy for a minimum of two years to work. It doesn't matter whether this person is Italian or non-Italian, it applies to all. The new law went into effect at the beginning of 2020, so players and coaches could benefit from the tax break so long as they committed to stay in Italy for a minimum of two years. If they left within the two years, then they have to pay back the deducted amount." The Italian government amended the first draft of the law to limit the benefit to 50%, meaning the first 50% of a footballer's income would not be taxed. The way salaries are negotiated in Italian football, the players are promised an after-tax salary, then that amount is grossed up to account for taxes which are paid for by the club. Thus, this law provides a great advantage to Italian clubs. Serie A clubs can either pay the same salaries at a lower cost, or they can now afford salaries and attract players or coaches who would have otherwise been unattainable before. So that's what the growth decree is. On Thursday, the Italian Revenue Agency issued a circular advising of a freeze on the tax benefits provided by the growth decree. This could have a huge financial impact on clubs that have been benefiting from this tax break. Let me give you the example that Tifo Football gave in their video, but I'm going to reverse the order. Let's say a player's after-tax salary was 10 million euros. With the tax break, which again means the club is not taxed on the first 50% of the player's income, and at the highest Italian income tax rate of 43%, the club would pay 2.7 million euros in tax for a gross salary of 12.7 million euros. If that tax break is removed or frozen, the club would have to pay tax on the full 10 million euro salary of the player. That amounts to 7.5 million euros or a gross salary of 17.5 million euros. So for that one player, the club would have to pay an additional 4.8 million euros in taxes. And that's just for one player. If you apply that to all players that benefited from the break over the duration of their contracts, not knowing how long the growth decree will be frozen... That could add up to some pretty serious money at a time when clubs are really struggling financially. As a result, FIGC President Gabriela Gravina has written to the Minister of Economy and Finance, Roberto Galtieri, and to Minister of Sports, Badaforex, seeking clarification. What's interesting is that Gravina seems to be more interested in determining who would be required to pay the tax, the clubs, the league, or the FIGC, rather than fighting it. I suspect what will happen here is the government will say that any player who has signed prior to the growth decree being frozen will continue to benefit from the tax break, but any new players or coaches coming from abroad would not. But since this is the Italian government, it will likely take multiple weeks of back and forth and multiple meetings and formal letters to come to that decision. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll provide an update on the transfer market.
0: Forte cazzuna con un stemma rete Una cupulella che vi Passa scampaniana per tu leta. Con mano a papata fa guarda Tu fa l'americano americano, americano, americano Sienta' me chi do fa fa Vuoi vivere alla moda, ma se bevi whisky e soda, un po' si niente disturbato, tu appallo rocca e roll, tu ciò che pesa, bolle, fei sorda becchiamella, chi te li dà la borsetta di mamma, tu fa l'americano, americano, americano, ma si è in Italia si è andato a me non c'è sta niente pa'. ok Napoletano tu vuoi fa l'American, tu fa l'American. l'americano come da poca va bene si tu la parla mi americano quando sa fa l'amore sotto la luna Come da vengono in di I love you Tu vuoi fa l'americana, americana, americana Si a me fa fa Tu vuoi vivere alla moda, ma se bevi whisky e soda Foto siente disturbato Tu abballo rock and e roll, tu gioca a pesa e bolla me sorta beccamel chi te li dà? la borsetta di mamma tuo fa l'americano, americano, americano. Ma se in Italia, c'è a me non c'è sta niente. Fa ok tuo fa l'americano, tuo fala l'americano.
1: Next, let's get you up to speed on the latest transfer rumors, starting with Arkadouj Milik. Napoli are reportedly negotiating with Atletico Madrid, who want Milik as a potential replacement for Diego Costa. The reports are that Atleti would pay Milik 4 million euros a season, which is an attractive offer, not just financially. Atleti have reached the knockout stage of the Champions League, and they're looking like the favorites to win La Liga this year. The latest reports are that the clubs are pretty far off, with Napoli asking for 15 million euros and Atleti only willing to pay 8. I have to be honest, I'm really starting to get tired of this routine with De Laurentiis. We all know that Milik is no longer worth that much money. If Atleti are willing to pay 8 million euros, we should take it and run. Supposedly, Atleti are also interested in Alexander Lacazette and Loren Moron, so this is not the time to be haggling for another million or two. Milik has also been linked again to two clubs that tried to purchase him in the summer. Juventus are in the market for another striker, and Roma are still looking for Edin Dzeko's successor. RMC Spora are reporting that Marseille are also interested in Milik. They would look to loan Milik so he can play the second half of the season, with an option to buy conditional on Napoli extending his contract. I do not see that happening, because there's so much tension between the player and the club at this point that there's absolutely no way they will reach an agreement on an extension. Personally, I think if Napoli can't work out a deal with Atletico Madrid, then I think Milik will let his contract run its course. There remains unresolved issues around fines issued by the club for the mutiny and for Milik violating his contract with respect to image rights. If you recall, last season, Milik used his image in an ad for a restaurant that he opened in Poland. In all likelihood, the club will take him to court for that, especially if Milik continues to refuse offers from other clubs. We saw Milik reject offers from Fiorentina and others this summer. That could be his way of exacting revenge on the club, knowing that he will walk away for free this summer. The risk, though, is that he does not get called up by Poland's national team for the Euros, having sat out an entire domestic season. Selling Milik in January is the best option for both Napoli and Milik, so hopefully we can get a deal done. Another player that Atletico Madrid have also set their sights on, at least according to Mundo Deportivo, is Fabian Ruiz. Fabian has really struggled to fit into Gattuso's 4-2-3-1 which has undoubtedly decreased his value. Supposedly Fabian is no longer on Gattuso's untouchable list and negotiations of contract extension have stopped. Fabian's current contract expires in 2023. De Laurentiis will not accept anything less than 50 million euros which seems low to me but I wonder if De Laurentiis is trying to set up a bidding war with so many big clubs interested in the Spaniard. Real Madrid, Barcelona, PSG, and Atletico Madrid have all expressed interest, but I highly doubt we make any decisions on Fabian until the summer. It would take a massive overbid to sell him in January, and I don't think that's going to happen in the current economic environment. The other big salary that Napoli are hoping to offload is that of Fernando Llorente. Negotiations with Sampdoria appear to have slowed down. Llorente is another player that has been linked to Juventus for the striker role that they're looking to fill. Supposedly, Juventus have given Napoli a deadline of January 20th. I can't say I blame them. Juve spent a lot of time trying to buy Milik, only for that deal to fall through. Their offers were whack, so I don't blame the Laurentiis either for rejecting them. Juve were trying to include players that they didn't need and we didn't particularly want just to lower the price. That said, Juve may have perceived that whole situation as Napoli dragging them along to slow them down in the market. Juve ended up making up pretty well though with how Morata has been playing. Two other clubs are following Llorente as well. Milan is looking for a deputy for Ibrahimovic and Fiorentina need a few more goals. But according to Corriere del Mezzogiorno, neither have made a concrete offer. Another player who's not playing much and is attracting attention is Stanislav Lobotka. Torino have supposedly set their sights on the Slovakian midfielder as they look for reinforcements to help avoid relegation. I can see why Torino are interested in him. They've squandered so many leads this season that Lobotka would be a great addition to help shore up their midfield However, the risk of being relegated may deter Lobotka from making a deal. I think what makes the most sense here is a dry loan or perhaps a loan with option to buy, but only on the condition that Torino survives. On the inbound, our biggest weakness is at left back. According to Corriera dello Sport, Napoli is close to signing Emerson Palmieri on a loan with option to buy. The challenge with signing Emerson is that Napoli currently have an abundance of fullbacks, so we need to get rid of one. First, before we can bring in another one, there has been very little interest in Fauzi Goulam, primarily because of his annual salary, which is similar to what Emerson would make. Another player that could leave is Kevin Malquy. he doesn't appear to be in Gattuso's plans. There's been talk of a possible return to France, but Napoli have not yet received any concrete offers. And then there's Alcide Kusai. Napoli would like to renew his contract, but the two sides are pretty far apart. Kusai currently makes €1.5 million per season and is looking to double his salary. Meanwhile, Napoli are only willing to pay €2 million. Kusai's contract is up in June of 2021, which means at the end of this winter transfer window, he's free to sign with another club. One of the teams he's been linked to is Roma. Kyusai's agent is Mario Giuffredi, who does a lot of work for Roma and also represents Jordan Vertu. With so much uncertainty at fullback, I don't expect anything to happen in January. I think we'll see some movement in the summer when we have more clarity on some of these players. Of course, between Jorginho and Tiamoi Bakayoko, relationships with Emerson's current club, Chelsea, are pretty good. Bakayoko is on a dry loan, so I wonder if a deal can be worked out that would involve seeing both players end up at Napoli on a permanent basis. Speaking of Jorginho, you've probably heard some speculation that he might return to Italy. That came from an interview his agent Jao Santos did with Radio Kiss Kiss. The statement Santos made that has driven the speculation was in response to a question about a possible return to Serie A. Santos said it is something that would please him at the end of his contract. I wouldn't read too much into that though. That is exactly the kind of statement an agent would make to drive interest for his player up, which also then drives up his value. Another player that has been linked to Napoli is Marseille's Florian Thauvin, though Milan are supposedly the frontrunners for him. I don't know too much about Thauvin, but it sounds like he's a very good player. The problem is that Thauvin plays mostly as a winger and sometimes as a striker, and we're already well-supplied at both of those positions. Thauvin primarily plays on the right wing, where we have Chucky Lozano and Matteo Politano. On the left wing, we have Lorenzo Insigne, and I can't see us spending that kind of money on a backup left winger. Similarly, he would likely be our third striker, maybe our second striker depending on Merton's health. So again, I don't think we'd want to spend that much money on a backup, especially when we have needs elsewhere. I also don't see Tauvin choosing Napoli over potentially other interested clubs where he would be a starter. The third reason I don't see him coming to Napoli is to avoid going into a similar situation to the one that he is currently in at Marseille. After Marseille's draw to Rhyme, this is what Toven had to say about Marseille's performance we play too laterally, we play the ball backwards too much, the final ball is not good enough, there's not enough movement. I got that from the official Ligue 1 podcast Le Beaujeu. That sounds a lot like he's describing Napoli's current situation. If we are looking for a winger, then you can't rule out Jeremy Boga. Correra dello Sport are reporting that Napoli remain interested in Boga as an alternative to Thauvin. However, that too would have to be a summer move. Sassuolo has already indicated that they have no intention of selling any key players, namely Manuel Locatelli and Jeremy Boga, in January. I'll close part two with two high-profile players that I don't think are going to sign with Napoli. The first is Juventus's Paolo Dybala. You've probably also seen some speculation that he could potentially join Napoli. This rumor was partially fueled by an interview that former Palermo Vice President Guglielmo Mikishe gave to Radio Kiss Kiss Napoli. He revealed in that interview that with Zamperini Palermo were about to sell Dybala to Napoli, but his agent pushed for Juventus and he eventually ended up there. He added that he highly recommends Dybala consider Napoli and Napoli pursue him because he thinks it would be a perfect marriage. That's definitely not going to happen. Dybala's salary demands are simply way too high. The other player is Papu Gomez. Gazzetta dello Sport are reporting that Inter, Milan, Roma, and Napoli are all interested I personally don't think it makes much sense, I'm probably in the minority here, which I normally am when I don't want a big name player to come to Napoli, but here's the reason why. If you pay 10 million euros for a 32 year old with a season and a half left on his contract, that means you have to play him right away. That means that Zielinski either becomes your backup at number 10, say for the Europa League, Coppa Italia, or perhaps off-the-bench in Serie A. The Napoli fans who aren't particularly fond of Zielinski probably wouldn't have a problem with that, but I've also had people message me saying we absolutely cannot make a player like Zielinski, who's in his prime, a backup player. The alternative is to move Zielinski deeper into the double pivot, but at least in my opinion, he's been far better for us at the number 10 because of his deficiencies at the back. And all of that doesn't even take into consideration that we'll have Dries Mertens returning in the next few weeks. At that point, we'd have potentially three number 10s and there simply isn't enough time to go around. So for me, unless we plan on selling Zielinski in the summer, which I think would be very short-term thinking, it does not make sense to bring in Papu. And if we do plan to sell Zielinski, then we'd be much better off going after Rodrigo De Paul, which again means we shouldn't go after Papu. That will do for Part 2, and Part 3 will preview our match on Sunday against Cagliari. final part, we'll do a quick preview of our match on Sunday against Cagliari. This is the 69th match between these clubs and the 34th to be played in Sardinia. Cagliari have won 9, Napoli have won 10, and the other 15 resulted in draws. The last time we lost an away game to Cagliari was back in 2009, and the last time we tied was in 2013, so it's been a while since we dropped points at Cagliari. This season, Cagliari have a record of only 3 wins, 5 draws, and 6 losses, which puts them only 4 points clear of the relegation zone. That wasn't helped by the loss of both Nahita Nández and Giovanni Simeone, who each missed 2 matches at the same time due to COVID. However, Leonardo Pavoletti did a respectable job in place of Simeone, and the results haven't improved since those 2 players returned. Cagliari have not won a single match in nearly two months now. Their last win was on November 7th, which was a 2-0 victory over Sampdoria. I feel like I'm jinxing Napoli with all these stats that point towards a Napoli win. Rest assured, this will not be a walk in the park for us. I don't think any match will be until we get healthy again. We will still be without a number of our key players, especially in attack, which we talked about in part 2. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Eusebio Di Francesco typically lines up in a 4-2-3-1, though we did see him use a 3-5-2 in Cagliari's most recent match against Roma. Alessio Cranio will start in goal. I think we'll see Andrea Carboni and Diego Godin start at center-back, with Charolampos Licojanes at left-back and Gabriele Zappa at right-back. With Marco Rogue injured, I think we'll see Nandez drop into the double pivot next to Razvan Marin. With Nandez in the double pivot, I think we'll see Adam Unes on the right-wing. Ricardo Sotil is the regular starter on the left wing, and João Pedro should continue to line up in the 10th spot behind Simeone. For Napoli, until I see the 4-3-3, I have to assume that Gattuso will continue to use the 4-2-3-1. I think we'll see Davido Spina back in goal, but with this schedule in January, I don't think it matters who starts really. Kalidou Koulibaly is not in the squad, so we should see Kostas Manolas and Nikola Maksimovic start at centre-back again. I know a lot of people want to see Amir Rachmani get a start. I think he might finally start the game midweek against Spezia. I'm torn between Mario Rui and Elsie Kusai at left-back, but I'll go with Mario Rui. And Giovanni Di Lorenzo should start at right-back. With Diego Demes still nursing his injury, we should see Fabian Ruiz line up in the double pivot next to Timo Ibaki Yoko. Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing, and I think we'll see Matteo Politano start over Chucky Lozano on the right wing. Lozano appears to have recovered from his ankle injury, so he could start as well, but I'm counting on him to get the extra few days of rest. Piotr Zielinski will start in the number 10 spot, and Andrea Petagna will start at striker. With Kulibalin not in the squad, 19-year-old Primavera forward Antonio Chofi will get his first call-up this season to the senior team. So next, let's talk about our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is we need to have a good first half for a couple of reasons. The main reason is to take the pressure off of ourselves. The longer we go without scoring, the more that opening goal is going to weigh on us and the less likely we are to actually score. We know this team is mentally fragile. We definitely cannot fall behind in the first half. As we saw against Torino, this team lacked any sense of urgency even after falling behind. Those who know me or who follow me on Twitter know that I am ever the optimist, so I'm going to chalk that Torino performance up to fatigue and an inability for Gattuso to train his players properly because of his eye condition. Gattuso appears to have recovered, at least based on the image that was posted with our January 1st training report. Watching Cagliari play this season, they seem to fade a little bit in the second half. I don't really have any stats to support that. Cagliari scored just as many goals in the first half as they do in the second, and they concede as many goals in the first half as they do in the second. But anecdotally, they seem to me at least to play better in the first half than they do in the second half. So if we can hold them off, or better yet, if we can score in the first half, then I like our chances. Our second key to the match is we need to protect the ball. As we talked about in our last episode, we gave the ball back to Torino way too easily that match. Now that was also because of Torino's low block, which we really struggled to break down. We'll see if Kalyadi takes the same approach. They have players to play a more positive game, but they've really struggled to create anything this season. Kalyadi definitely have players that can cause problems for us though. Nandaz and Sotil are usually the players that lead the counterattack because of their pace. Calieri don't create a whole lot of scoring opportunities, in fact, that's been one of the biggest issues with them this season, but that's another reason to protect the ball. Calieri scored two goals in their last match against Roma, and on both occasions, Roma gave up the ball way too easily. We definitely have to be careful not to give up the ball in our own end, because João Pedro is absolutely lethal. We allowed Armando Ito to score one of the few chances that Torino had against us, so we do not want to be giving João Pedro chances to shoot, not to mention Simeone. The final key to the match is we need to make the most of our opportunities, and that means taking lots of shots and taking accurate shots. Again, looking back on that Torino match, we didn't create too many chances, but when we did, we either missed the target or we hit too much of it. We did get that Insignia goal at the end, which was beautiful. I'm not saying we need golazos, but when we take shots from the middle of the box, we need to pick our corners. Despite Cagliari's record, Alessio Cragno has been excellent this season, we lost points to Inter because Samir Handanovic decided to have his best game of the season against us. So for that reason, we need to take a lot more shots than we have been lately. Good things happen when you put the ball on target. Either you score directly if the shot is accurate enough, or perhaps you get a lucky bounce here and there. Maybe a shot takes a deflection, maybe Cranio makes a big save but gives up a rebound. That's where Andrea petania can take advantage of his size and strength. But we have to take more shots because constantly playing the balls to the wings and playing in terrible crosses simply isn't going to cut it. The head official for this match is Gianluca Manganiello. He's refereed four Napoli matches since 2018. Napoli have three wins and a draw in those four matches. His assistants are Giovanni Baccini and Valerio Colarossi. The fourth official is Federico Dionisi. And Maurizio Mariani is on the VAR, assisted by Matteo Passeri. For my prediction, I'll go with a 2-0 win on goals from Lorenzo Insigne and Piotr Zielinski. I keep picking Andrea Petagna to score and he keeps disappointing me, so hopefully if I don't pick him to score, he'll prove me wrong again. I know Napoli are likely going to be starting a similar lineup to the one that laid a huge egg against Torino, but I'm expecting a very different performance. I genuinely believe that we just ran out of gas before the break. I think everyone on this team needed the break and will come back fresh and recharged. That includes Giovanni Di Lorenzo, who clocked insane minutes and has been at fault for... A few goals lately. That includes Andrea Petagna, who's suddenly been thrown into the starting role with Osimhen and Mertens out. That includes Chucky Lozano, who should have recovered from his ankle injury. And even if he doesn't start, he will be far more effective off the bench than he was against Torino. And most of all, that applies to Gennaro Gattuso, who appears to have recovered from his eye condition. So that's going to do it for this preview. That will also do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ForzaNapoliPod. We'll talk to you again next week to review this match and to preview our next one against Spezia, but until then, I'm Joe Forza Napoli sempre.
0: Si e te coria non te fluye,